Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 204, John and Wendy Talk to Scott Leeper. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you today, John? Wendy, I am well. A non-traditional recording time for us yes. uh, because we Love have it. an international <laughs> guest, our first of the year, which we're really excited about. Woo-hoo! Also very excited that this episode is once again being sponsored by our friends over at the Bowling Green State University Graduate Programs of Organization Development and Change. I did have to take a breath that time, but do appreciate <laughs> our pals at BGSU. Yes. Wendy, we had two things that we wanted to mention in the open because it's okay. our show and we get that opportunity. First right. off, chat. If you're listening to this in real time, the chat coming up Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern, our pal, and I think she wants to be the number three, the number one <laughs> to be the number three chair on the chat. <laughs> our pal Christy Engler is back with a topic yes. on professional development. That's going to be fun. That's, that is going to be a fun chat. I'm excited about it. I think there's a lot of uh, different routes we're going to be able to take with that. So join us. And let's talk. I think it's an extremely pertinent topic in, in the environment that we're in, yeah. particularly as we see shifting priorities within organizations. And I think I even read somewhere lately about, you know, is do you make development? How, you know, how do you frame it? What is the importance? We know it's important. Christy had contacted us and said, hey, would love to have this conversation. And she also knows that if she asks, then she has to bring the goods. So she has done that. We hope you will join us for that conversation. Yes, please do. The second piece, it is hard to believe, Wendy, February 6th, Wow, coming up very soon. It is the fourth anniversary of episode zero being released of the podcast. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. Four years, man. Four years, 271 or two shows total that we'll have put out by then. We are fortunate, though, that that is a Sunday in the U.S. It is not a chat week. So we decided we're going to have a party. <laughs> you are not going to get a cake, unfortunately. You can get a cake and take it, bring you it home. You can have a cake. We're going to have a virtual party. Yes. During that typical 7 p.m. Eastern time for uh-huh. us, it may go longer. There's not a chat and there's not a wrestling pay-per-view on. <laughs> you never know. We may go longer. Priorities, man. There's going to be more details over the next bit of time. Pencil it in for uh, Sunday, February 6th, 7 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. It is the 4th anniversary or four, I guess the fourth birthday of the for podcast. Part, see, yeah, I, mean, I think y'all let an anniversary of, of the launch. Yeah. At birthday anniversary yeah. part. It's a party people. And it's a party. We, we haven't done a social hour event, a happy, happy hour time. We haven't done mm-hmm. one of those in a while. You know, people have asked right. why, you know, can we do one? Well, guess what? We have a, a great reason to do it and we hope you'll yes. join us. Details to come. Woohoo. Woohoo. Indeed. <laughs> Woohoo to having our guests Woo-hoo. all the way from, as we like to say, across the pond. It's great to be January, and we've already got our first international guest with us. Yes. Really excited that Scott could be here. Wendy, let's make the introduction and get started. Yes, I am so excited to welcome Scott Lieber to the show. He has spent the last 13 years developing a creative and diverse leadership and management development business called The Learning Lab. He has an established reputation for making the often complex, simple, practical, and memorable. Over this time at The Learning Lab, he has used his unique learning approach to underpin a number of creative and often award-winning solutions. His other business... Imaginosity was established in late 2019, a product-led learning venture which aims to ignite the mind and empower greatness. His debut product, Cognizize, was a sustainable physical and digital card system that grows with each new story to help learning stick. 
In 2020, Leaper founded and co-created KindFest, a global virtual celebration and education of workplace kindness. KindFest and KindFest USA raised thousands for charity and helped spread ripples of kindness into their communities and make a positive difference. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, Leaper co-founded Virtual Punks, a virtual events business creating more meaningful digital experiences, hosting virtual Christmas office parties and festivals of learning. In November 2021, Scott was named the 26th most influential thinker by HR Magazine due to his work and its positive impact on the HR community over the course of the pandemic. Scott loves nothing more than watching along with his soulmate as his wee clan of three grow and blossom. He's also a lover of bikes, Bowie, and baking. Well, thank you, Scott. I am so excited to chat with you today. But our first question, as always, what is in your glass? Thank you. Thank you, both of you, for having me along. In my glass, I've gone double bubble. So I've got two glasses. <laughs> I like hot and cold combined. So I've got a, a sweet citrus kombucha with lovely slices of lemon in it. And Yum. I've also got an apple and cinnamon tea. It's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon here. It kind of is beer o'clock, but uh, I've promised I'm going to go a run once we finish recording. So I'm kind of thinking IPAs and 10Ks don't really go well together. Uh, not too much. Not too much. <laughs> I tell you, Scott, I think kombucha is becoming the liquid of choice on this show. And I'm thinking, Wendy, yeah. that we may need to figure out some way to get in on a sponsorship somewhere. Yeah. And sponsor a social hour kombucha because I've heard kombucha multiple times. Yeah, it, there's, it, yeah, there's several options it, it, it's for, quite for it out there. I've heard it. It's, I'm going to be your first guest ever with whiskey as well. And that, that was my second option I was going to go for. I don't know if you've had a whiskey <laughs> guest. Oh, yes. Have well, had we've a had scotch? bourbon guests. We've had yeah, bourbon guests. Yeah. It is great to have you here. Again, appreciate you making the time, particularly we we always figure out the time zone things when it comes to international guests. But I have to ask, Scott, you know, how did you first get your start in human resources and then move into really this focus on learning and development? Hey, no, thank you. Um, do you know what? Like a few people I've, I've I've heard your interviews with, there's a little bit of accident and coincidence with it that things happen just because of where you are in your career and what you're doing. But in my late teens and early 20s, I, I was working in retail. I was very blessed to have the opportunity to look after retail stores when I was in my late teens and early 20s, which was quite young for my experience of looking after um, businesses of that size. But I was managing people quite often twice my age, not really having a clue about how I was doing it, but seemed to be doing a fairly decent job at it, just using my gut and my instinct to, to manage along with it. But what, what I recognized and what my, my, my managers recognized is that I had a good ability for growing people. I wasn't particularly great at selling the stock, which was a downside. <laughs> I used to sell sportswear. That was the, the, the retail business I worked in because I was a massive sports fan. I was great at helping people to show them how to sell that stock. And I was good at helping them to grow and to blossom into management positions. And I was a one I was a, one of the few, if not the only store in that business at that point in time that had people progressing through and moving into other jobs at other parts of the organization. So I had a, a gentleman who was the, the operations director, kind of commercial director of the business at the time. And he'd recognized that I had done this at a number of stores in the two years and three years that followed on after that. And he offered me a position as the training and development manager for the business, for the entire company, which I was blown away with at 23 that I could take on that opportunity. What I didn't know was when I started in day one, he said, oh, by the way, you're doing recruitment as well, <laughs> which, was, which was a nice additional side serving I hadn't planned for. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. It was um, somebody, 
I suppose, spotting my ability and my talent in that area and my passion and interest in, in growing people, that they, they gave me an opportunity that was the start of a really kind of blossoming career at that, that stage in my life. So really, really appreciative to the gentleman called Kenny McCarthy, who gave me my start in learning development in HR. So as part of you know some of the learning and development that you've done, you have created a card game, I have, which yeah. I think is really interesting. What led you to start Cognitize? And tell us a little bit more about, about the card game. I'm one of these people. I, I, I've got a thing called itchy creativity, which means if I see something that I think can be solved, I, I scratch it and I try to do something about it. I like to experiment with different things. One of my friends, he's a, a great friend of mine called Rory Kelly. He's, he works in the games industry, so he has his own, his own games business called Red Knight Toy Group. And every time he comes over to my house, he's like the favorite uncle. So he brings along a big stack of games for all the kids and beers for me. So you know, he brings all these things from Ireland I don't get here, and, and he brings a stack of games. So he arrived with um, with all these games one summer, and, and one of the games that he had with him was a card game. And the card game was all about doing random acts of kindness for others. There was a card in the set that was called Free Vend. And the whole idea of this was you were to go up to a, maybe a vending machine, like a Coke machine, and pay for the drink for the next person who comes to the machine. And then you stick the card on the machine that says free vend. If you find this card, repeat this gesture by doing it in another vending machine at another place in the world. And the cards had a little code on them so that when you did that, it would show you how far your act of kindness traveled across the globe. And there was lots and lots of different cards in this, this game. But this one card, I thought there's something in that for learning and development. That what if we gave our learning as a gift to other people? And the things that we learned, if we shared that through conversations and we shared that through gifts by giving what I had learned to Wendy and John and then John and Wendy could share that gift to someone else, it would not only make that kind of exponential learning loss shrink, it would mean that those neurons are being connected between my learning and your learning would be closer connected together and it would make our learning experiences flourish better with each interaction we had with someone. So I I sat and I, I created... Five or six cards, I just hand-drew them, wrote them out, and thought about how could I do this. And then Rory and I took our, our kids away, to our boys away, to a, a holiday park for the weekend. And uh, Again, he brought some more some games and things with us. And I think after about the, the 11th craft beer, <laughs> we, finally, uh, we finally found a solution amongst it all that we said, well, how could we make this something that, that's sustainable, that continues to grow? And what I came up with was, was a QR code in every single card. So in the 52 cards, there's a four-point structure. There's a learn, which is something that I would do along with you if you, you were a fellow learner or somebody we were having a conversation with. There's a share activity that once we've learned that, we give that card to someone else. And then there's a grow activity, which is a little QR code that you scan. And when you scan the QR code, a number of video stories come up there from people who have had that card before or people who have recorded stories based on the theme of that card. I started that in November 19, and so far I've collected about 142 video stories from people across the video cards. So it grows and grows and grows. So each time I meet you know, a new professional within the learning development sector or I just meet somebody that's got a really interesting story. I mean, we've got you know people there who have went through their own mental health journeys. We've got people in there who have been authors of books. We've got people in there who have made their own movies. We've got people on there who have completely changed their career by just asking a stranger a question. It just continues to grow all the time with each new story that's there. That's how it started. And the last part of the card is the repeat cycle. 
which is repeating that process as many times as you can with as many people as you can. So it's unique in the sense that I don't want people just to buy the cards and use them for themselves. I want them to buy the cards, use them, and then give them away. A bit like somebody would buy you that set of cards that Rory bought me, or a bit like somebody would come to your house and buy you a box of chocolates maybe or a bunch of flowers. I want them to do that with the cards. I want them to use them, and then I want them to give them away as gifts so that people are sharing the learning as a gift, and that powers up learning and others. And that's how Cognitize works, learn, share, grow, repeat. Let's talk about learning and kind of ties in. Interestingly enough, we're having a conversation this coming weekend about development. With the clients that you work with and the people that you talk to, Scott, where do you believe most organizations struggle right now when it comes to learning in the current environment? And with those struggles, what would you recommend to other HR professionals to help them? Do you know what? I think it's a great question. I'm thinking about it quite deeply now. There's a number of different directions of travel that I would suggest that people take. You know, one thing I always say to businesses when I start working with them, and sometimes this gets me in a bit of trouble, but I say to them, just remember that everyone who ever works for you is on loan to you. And it's their choice. It's their career, what they want to do, whatever they want to do. And our job as HR professionals is to make those people as productive, as engaged, and as happy in the tenure and time that they spend in our employment. And if we're blessed that they stay with us for 10 years, it's brilliant. But what we don't want to do is keep them for 12 years when they only wanted to stay for 10 or keep them for seven years when they only wanted to stay for five. We're, you know, we're all passengers in each other's lives and we all travel and it's like a sliding doors movie, if you like. And I always try to encourage businesses to try to think of their, their people like that is treat them with the same interest and, and, and focus as they did when they joined as they do when they leave. You know, when somebody leaves an organization, it should be as powerful and nurturing as what as an engagement should be when somebody arrives. And I think that's been really interesting across the course of the last couple of years of working in a, a slightly different way because organizations have had to adjust a little more rapidly to working in a virtual environment. And certainly here in Scotland, where I am here today, a lot of businesses are still working from home. A lot of that time, there's a lot of people still you know, working from their own kitchen tables rather than working from an office environment. And it throws up a, another angle of quite different things in that you don't always get to see people's input. You only really get to see their output because you're not in the same physical space as someone. We don't appreciate that sometimes that when we're on virtual calls all the time, you're also looking at yourself as well as looking at the other person. I mean, the only way you'd have seen that pre-pandemic would have been if you're walking about with wing mirrors on your shoulders. <laughs> all those things are quite different. I think the environment's quite different. And I don't think we can solve those things by just treating them in the same way we did before. I think we have to treat them in a slightly different way and we have to look at different solutions. So businesses, for example, that have went, okay, we're now virtual. So we're now going to do full day workshops the same way as we did, you know, um, face-to-face workshops. Doesn't work. You can't do five hours on Zoom when you would have done five hours in a meeting room because it's just cognitively wrong for people. It just overloads their brain. They're not able to connect and they've got things going on in the background. They've got cats running across the screen. (laughs) They've got all these things going on. So I I think solution-wise, people need to break things down into smaller chunks. The solutions we have need to be a lot more brain-friendly. We have to to do a lot more on pre-learning and post-learning for people. Um, when we're doing training programs as well to make sure that we don't just focus on what happens during that two hours when we're on screen, but we focus a lot more on the learning experience beforehand. I mean, I had one client, we were about to start off in a face-to-face learning experience in March 
20 and it became a virtual experience and we, we built a more blended solution. So there was more stuff going on before the learning and a lot more stuff after learning, a lot more continuous stuff. You know, I was using my cards and things in with that as well, which was useful to do that alongside it. But I think that that, that looking at your business in a, in a fresh pair of eyes and not trying to go through it and see the same the same challenges all the time. And I think on that first point I raised about employees kind of being on, or people being on loan to you for the duration of the employment, I just think it shifts the mindset that you look at people in a different light, that you don't own them. <laughs> you're there to help them. You're there to support them, to help them to progress in their career, whatever they, they want to do. And I think the more that we that we see our teams as, as human beings and we recognize that as individuals, they've all got other things going on in their life and I'll use a phrase one of my friends, Kirsty Matt, uses. She says, it's better to give people a good listening to rather than a good talking to. And I think for me, that is the best way to look at that lens of recognizing each individual that you work with is really try to listen to what's going on for them and then try to provide a, a solution that's more relevant for, for their, own, their own life of what's going on around them to make sure you're doing as much as you can do to make them feel satisfied and successful in your, the time that they happen to work for you. I think that's so true, Scott. And I've heard that before where, you know, um, I think someone said at the end of the day, every employee is a volunteer because they choose to come in. Um, And so we need to, we still have a lot of people looking for that long-term employee. We want someone who's going to stay for 20 years when maybe you don't need that. And so I love that shift that everyone's on loan to you and we should only keep them as long as they are happy and we are happy and, you know, all of that. Like that a lot. Yeah. If I go back to my my first job I had when I was running a a small store, my first management job, that is, I was told by the managing director um, before I went in, these people are troublemakers. You won't last long with you. (laughs) And I I was only 14 people I was working with, but I worked worked with them for for 16 months. I had exactly the same team plus a few additions when we left. Not one of them went because I treated them in that same way. It was to say, look, You know, I want to try and help you be the best that you can be. And if that means you want to leave after six months and go to college, or that means that you want to stay with us for, for two years, I'm here to help you to find your best. Help people to shine is so important. Scott, we first heard your name from our friend and previous guest, Joanna Servana, yeah. when you partnered on KindFest, yes. which, again, that was that was such a phenomenal experience I, I, as an attendee. I just thought that was great what you guys put together. What did you learn from that experience and how do you plan to apply it going forward? I learned if you build it, they will come. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know the nervousness we had before that about what happens if you switch this on and three people attend? And then we went, do you know what? That doesn't matter because if those three people change the lives of other people, we've still succeeded in doing something. Uh I've learned that it, distance it can travel is something that I really didn't consider before it and how far some of those actions and gestures of kindness can make such a difference to people on other stories in their life that you had no insight or no experience of before you had done that. I mean, I I had a conversation. Have you had Kevin Monroe's guest before? I don't know if you've came across Kevin. Kevin's a fabulous guy who he does a, a lot of work in the space of gratitude. And I, I he's, he's over, over in the US as well, Kevin, but I, I had a conversation with him about seven months ago and he was telling me that a lady approached him and said that the work that she and he had been doing together had changed her life beyond recognition and he said to me I wouldn't have met her had I not been at Kindfest because that's where we made the contact he says so that lady's life would not be different today without both of us attending that session and connecting through it so I think 
my biggest lesson is you never know who you're affecting when you try to do these things. I mean, we, we did it just to try to change the narrative a little bit, and we, we were really, really certain that the one thing we wanted to make sure it was about was about the movement, was about the ripples, was about the changes. It was never, it was not about us creating something. In fact, we did Kindfest USA. We deliberately took a back seat because we didn't want to be at the front again because we thought it's important to continually to evolve the hosts and put other people at the front of this. And we had uh, two of your previous guests, and Julie Turney and Steve Brown, as hosts as the as the US Festival as well. I think Steve gets to mention every episode of this. So <laughs> today's got one in. Yeah, so it was really important that it was about it was about movement, and I think that's the biggest surprising thing for me that people still talk to me today about something that happened you know, going back such a time ago about the difference it's made to them and the things it's creating. And I think when you sit back from it and you see people interacting online who met at that event, who have now formed business relationships and have now formed their own ventures, or they've been guests in each other's podcasts, and they're all changing their community's lives by the things that they're doing. I think that's what makes me the proudest, actually, by what we did with it, is the ripples that that continues to create all the time is, is something that just really makes me super proud, actually of what that's still doing today for people. Scott, when we have UK-based guests, we always like to add a question to the typical conversation because it's been very interesting to see the responses we've had. What do you believe is the biggest misconception people <laughs> have about the UK that are not from there? Okay, I, do you know, I could come up with a list, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, listened, uh, I listened to Gary Cookson's interview you had with him. Gary ticked off a few things I had in my head as well, so I'm not going to get down the same route. Um, I'll, I'll let me give you a couple then. Um, we don't love to queue. <laughs> so we do queue, but we don't love to queue. But if you're ever standing in a queue next to a fellow Brit and you go, we're standing there going, somebody's just jumped to queue. Honestly, you think somebody had kidnapped one of your kids. <laughs> 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 well, we don't love we don't love to do it. We don't enjoy doing it. We get equally as frustrated by queuing, but for some reason we still do it out of politeness and etiquette because it's something that we've that we've always done. So I think that's one. The other thing is we don't all love Adele. <laughs> There's a perception that everyone's into Adele and Coldplay. Neither is true of me, and neither is true of many of my friends. But she still sells millions of records. <laughs> those, those would be my. Uh, my, my, my two off the top of my head. And one third, third one, it always rains. I'm going to turn my camera around just to prove to John and Wendy right now. It's not raining in Scotland. It's not raining. Right now, and it's January. It's not raining. Yeah. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> Those are, Those are my awesome. top ones. <laughs> Scott, we are outsourcing some of our work and we are asking our guests for, for questions to ask yep. others. So the question for you is from Amber Sauer. Okay. She asks, what are we not talking about in the HR community that we should be talking about? And why aren't we talking about it? I don't think that we are talking enough about neurodivergence. Well, I really don't. And I, I, I speak from relative experience of this. My, my youngest son is on the autistic spectrum. And I'm having a lot of conversations about school at the moment, about education, how well-structured or poorly structured education is for, for a child on the autistic spectrum, but wider than autism, just in neurodivergence as a whole. And I've been, I've been thinking about it quite a lot over the course of the last few years and asking the question of a lot of organisations that I work with. And the, there seems to be a lot of appreciation for someone in the workplace that there is neurodivergence 
but not necessarily a lot of adjustment that's made or a lot of encouragement that's made for the brilliance that someone has in their own unique skills. You know, for example, you might have somebody who's got a very unique and special quality and they're absolutely flourishing in one area of their life, but that's not always tuned into by the organization to say, how can we make this a special part of our organization that does something that's actually beyond anything that anyone else in our sector ever does by really tuning into the qualities of that neurodivergence. So I think we're more appreciative as a society and as an HR community of difference, but I'm not always I'm not always convinced from a neurodivergence point of view that we then embrace that to its fullest potential and actually really look at the virtues and the strengths of someone who too is neurodivergent, the different things that, that they can bring to an organisation, to a workplace. And I think in HR, we've got, you know, some great opportunity actually to do something quite special about that and do something really quite brilliant with it as a, as a, as a quality. I mean, if you went through my, uh, my son's got six albums recorded and he's 10. He's got, uh, his favourite artist is Frank Zappa. And, uh, you know, that tells wow. you everything about the difference of how he likes music and what he listens to. Mm-hmm. But when I, ask, when I ask him about a playlist, he'll have thousands and thousands of playlists about the music and stuff. He's, he's educated me, you know. I'm saying I'm a David Bowie fan. He, he's off buying B-sides, etc., and things I've never heard before <laughs> because he gets himself into that depth. So he's got an interest in one particular special area, but he does that because he's got a, a linguistic talent and a, 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 a diverse quality in that particular area. And I think when he then reaches the age that he's finally able to go into the workplace, will the workplace celebrate that quality and actually do something with that quality to really help it to shine within the organisation? Or will it say, yeah, that's great, you've got that quality, but yes, you have to do this part of your job and that's how your job works, rather than seeing that we could actually be creating job opportunities of the future for people that don't exist at the moment. They can actually allow these talents to really flourish and to blossom and to actually make our, our workplaces such brilliant and vibrant places for these people to shine within as well. I think we need to talk about it a lot more. With that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This episode of the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast is brought to you by Bowling Green State University. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's the importance of being agile and open to change. Bowling Green State University is a world leader in providing graduate education to working professionals in organization development and change. In fact, in 2019, BGSU launched one of the only professional doctorate programs in the country focused on organization development and change. Both the master's and doctorate degree programs are designed for working professionals and blend the convenience of virtual learning with regularly scheduled in-person weekends a few times a year. The BGSU graduate programs in organization development and change provide students with practical skills and help them grow from a subject matter expert to a sought-after thought leader. To learn more about the master's and doctorate programs in organization development and change at Bowling Green State University, visit bgsu.edu slash mod. Thanks again to Bowling Green State University for sponsoring the HR Social Hour Half Hour podcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back! Scott, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, the Half Hour Question Connection. So, Scott, what career did you dream of having when you were a child? I don't know if you'll guess this one. I wanted to be a farmer. A farmer? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wouldn't have guessed it. (laughs) No. I I, I, I used to have all these farm toys as a kid, like collect all these little animals and plastic pigs and things and have all these little 
farm animals is a plaything. Um, it's before I discovered Star Wars, I should add, but um, I had all these <laughs> things. But, but I used to dream of sitting on top of a combine harvester and, and mowing down the, the crops in a field and a big red Massey Ferguson kind of combine harvester and just every summer. And I think I liked the appeal of the outdoors. And then I think it was my older brother at the time said, you do know you're going to have to go up at 4 a.m. I went... Yeah, yeah, not so keen in that. <laughs> so keen in that. <laughs> yeah, but initially that was my first thing I thought of was was to be a farmer. Yeah, definitely that was outdoors appealed to me. It still does appeal to me a lot. Actually, that part stayed with me. Just being outdoors and doing things. But I think the farming community was something that I quite fancied doing early in my career. Scott, who's one person you've gotten to know in the last year that you think more people should know? Oh, I've got so many, so many. Um, I mean, I'm a member of the famous or infamous by now HR pub quiz group, so there's so many in that, <laughs> that community. But I, I think we've had everyone mentioned in there that's been mentioned already. But um, I, I met a lady through a recording I was doing. So I, I do a little thing as part of Cognitize called High Five, where we take guests inspired by the cards. So we take a card and we, we ask them to tell a story based on the card and they nominate somebody else. And there was a lady that came to me through nomination Somebody had nominated her as somebody who would be really interesting to talk to and the subject of 88 Brilliance. It was a lady called Helen Amory, who's based here in the UK. But Helen has got such a a really different way of looking at the subject of coaching. It's more about trying to help people to find, as, she, as I said there in the introduction, about their innate brilliance is trying to find their biggest quality and their biggest strength, almost like discovering people's inner superpower and helping it to flourish. And I, I've really enjoyed getting to know her over the course of the of the last few months and uh, working a lot closer with her now in a coaching capacity as well to really help see how she can help me to, to focus what I'm doing as well. So she's a really, really fascinating and really lovely lady actually to, to work with. But do you know that way when you first meet someone and within the first couple of sentences to start talking, you your level of curiosity just gets deeper and deeper and more interested in what this person is saying. I, I just found that just opened up suddenly like a like a, a warm embrace just to really really listening to tune into what actually she was saying because I was really interested in every element because it just sounded fundamentally different for some of the ways that people described some of the things that I'd heard people talk about before so I, I would ask everyone to go and seek out Helen I think she's fabulous Scott if you could go back to the start of your career what is one piece of advice you would give yourself based on what you know now well, don't be a farmer would be one of them. <laughs> I would probably say it would be something along the lines of keep focused on happiness. Early in my career, when I had a career interview with somebody, it was always about what do you want to do in the next five years and what's the status of that job and what's that job job involved. And I think the older I've got, the more I've appreciated that where I perform at my best is when I'm doing something I really enjoy doing. And when I can use my strengths to the best to help me to do some of those things as well. And I know there's a lot of shadow of that and a lot of the things that I talk about anyway. But if I was a time traveler and I was going back to ask myself some of those things, I was too convinced by the opinions of others to say, oh, you need to be this position by this date and by this timeline if you're going to get to the next stage of your career. And I don't think careers have to be like that as a, a natural stepping stone into the next thing. And if, if I was having that conversation with, let's say, a 23 or a 24-year-old self, I wouldn't be putting the same effort and energy in to try to reach the head of or senior leader of or any of those things because I'm not sure it would it would have made me any happier than what I would have done if I just followed love as a compass rather than following structure as a compass to do things. So 
I think I would give myself that advice. Scott, how do you enjoy giving back to the, the HR, the learning, or even your community at large? I mean, one of the things is is making sure that you, you help out those same people who are the, the younger you, if you like, is that last question you just asked as well. I think if there's people who have, they're maybe struggling to find a center as a creative within learning and development is to give them your time and to making sure you're supporting them and making time for them to give them your advice and your help. And you know, I, I was really conscious of this during the, the last kind of 18 months to two years as well is how do you continually give back with the things that you're doing so one of the things I made sure we did with Cognitize was, was making sure um, certain cards are focused on certain charities so there's there's two cards in the set there's one called Money 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 Must Be Funny which is named after an ABBA song obviously but um, we change the charity on that card once every six months and what we then do is we get people from that charity to tell jokes for charity and they talk about the charity at the start of the video and then they tell jokes at the end of it. And then when people watch the card back, the charity comes along the bottom of the screen. And if you like the jokes, you make the donation. And then we've done that with another couple of cards in the set. We've got one called 10 or for good, which is if you take $10 and you give it to a stranger, you've got to do something good for someone else with that £10 you receive. So I continually try to build that good intention into the, into the product to make sure it carries forward. We had another card called Be A Rainbow, after uh, Maya Angelou's quote, and what we did with that card last year in the UK is we gave the digital card. We had a digital version we created, and we gave them away free to NHS workers, National Health Service workers here in the UK, because I, I felt that during the early days of the pandemic, health professionals weren't having the opportunity to focus on their own professional development because their workload had increased so much that their personal development was put aside. So we offered those all free of charge to people who worked in the National Health Service here in the UK to make sure they were still getting some some development as well. So I, I think it is I think it is hugely important that you continually do that and the work that you do that the commercial benefit you get from what you're doing is clearly a good thing for you because it helps your family stay fed and everything else. But I think in everything that I do with what I do, I think there has to be a, a thread of goodwill and kindness and compassion built into that because it's a, it's a fabulous currency to trade in. It really does. It just it does so much for you and for your wider community as well when you do that. Scott, what's your favorite movie? I'm not sure if you've seen this one. It's called Yogi Bear's First Christmas. <laughs> Yogi Bear's First Christmas. Yogi, you know Yogi Bear has an hey, boo-boo? Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> it wasn't a bad impression. When, uh, no, that's it. When when I was a kid, I watched this. I watched this film every Christmas. My mom and dad, when I was when I was a little boy, and it always really stuck with me. What a nostalgic movie it was! And then for some reason, it went completely out of um, circulation. I think it was at the time when VHS went on to uh, DVDs, and the movie was never released on DVD. It was an old Hanna and Barbera, nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty VHS, and I, and I had an old VHS tape that I'd bought in a video store years ago, but it was starting to get you know, really, really badly worn. So finally they re-released it on DVD and now my kids, every Christmas, that's the first thing they want to do after they've opened the presents in Christmas morning. They want to sit and they want to watch Yogi Bear's First Christmas. It is by no means the best movie ever made, but it gives me a really special moment with my family to sit down and watch that film. And I think no matter what my age and my kids are as I travel through life, I think that movie will always give me a special space to enjoy the things I enjoy most, to sit back and it's funny listening to my daughter now, who's 16, 
and she still wants to watch Yogi Bear's First Christmas Kiss <laughs> this morning. You know, not, not really to see it on Netflix, but she wants to watch Yogi Bear, and they won't do anything else until they've watched Yogi Bear. It's like, we must watch Yogi Bear before we have Christmas dinner. It has to be watched. So I think for that reason alone, it's my favourite film. I'm not suggesting it'll be everyone's favourite film, but it just... Two hours of Yogi Bear, what's not to like? That is definitely a first, Scott. But as as someone that says A Christmas Story is their favorite movie of all time, I can heartily respect that very, very much. <laughs> for similar reasons, for similar reasons. What about your favorite or the most memorable live performance you've ever attended? Oh, these are cute. I'm so missing these of late because we've not had many live performances here, but... Um... I'm going to squeeze in two really quickly on this one. One of them was a band I went to see and somebody else come on at the same time that I wasn't expecting. So I went to see Rage Against the Machine at a festival, and it was supposed to be Rage Against the Machine with a headline act. But because Cypress Hill crew had missed their flight, they were on stage at the same time and just did a jam session for an hour and a half. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen, two bands just coming together and just jamming wow. for that duration of time. I think that was probably my ultimate because I hadn't seen it coming. The other one was seeing uh, Pearl Jam in Leeds um, a few years ago. And they paid, over the duration of the set, they must have played about 64 tracks. And wow. <laughs> quarter past midnight, Eddie Vedder was still singing Yellow Lead Better, drinking his third bottle of wine of the evening. <laughs> he was still going. <laughs> and that, that was just... I mean, you can see the security in the pit going, off the stage! <laughs> and Eddie's, like, lifting his glass of wine, not giving like, to who. Nope. Still, still, wow. going, still playing. So, yeah, those two were pretty special. Scott, if you could be on any TV show, either as a character or yourself, what would it be? I wouldn't be myself, but I'd let... Do you know a show that I absolutely love? I love American Pickers. Okay. I love it as a show. Okay. Uh, I'm fascinated. I mean, don't get me wrong. When I say this to my wife, she says, don't ever bring any of these items home to our house. <laughs> don't ever do it. But I find the dynamic between Frank and Mike really, really interesting when they're on camera. I think there's a difference in how they show appreciation to the community as well when you watch them on camera. So I'm not sure what ro- Maybe I'd be the van and then I get to see them both. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe I'd be Danielle back at the base, and I get to have communication with them both. But I think they've got they've got a very a very genuine way by the way in which they treat people's property. I feel it quite um, quite dignified and quite honourable to actually watch them sometimes about the way they they maybe go into an elderly gentleman's home who he's he's collated all these treasures over the lifetime of of living in this property, and he's got this barn that's never been touched in thirty years. Yet he lets these two strangers into their home to uncover and to purchase and to buy. I think there's a real genuineness, actually, in what they do and how they how they operate things. But I think the reason why I'd want to be there is to see the stuff that happens off camera, that how they pick the thing out the trash that they then put to the front to make sure that's the pristine thing that they then eventually go and buy. But I think it's a really a really interesting show to actually watch the dynamics that are happening on camera and to be, to be a little hidden figure in the background and to notice what's happening. That's where I'd like to be. It's been announced that it's going to be Scott Leaper Day all around the world. What are we doing to celebrate? Oh, good luck with that. <laughs> That's everything. <laughs> Watching Yogi Bear for 24 hours. Uh, no, I, I would say what I'd like you to do on Scott Leaper Day is I'd like to make sure that we all go to the forest. So there is a bit of Yogi Bear in that. I want us to get lost in a forest and enjoy 
what nature can provide to you would be part of the day. The other part of the day is when you get home to your roaring fire and you sit there and you maybe write something that interests you. You have to listen to some really good music as you do that, preferably by dead artists, um, so that you get powered up in the soul of great music of those who have came before. That's what I want Scott Leaper Day to be all about. If you want to have a whiskey to close the night, then please go for it. I never would have dreamed we'd be talking about Yogi Bear on this show, John. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen that here, y'all. the beauty of this. We just don't know. All right, finally, Scott, if you could ask the next guest of the show any question, what would you ask them? I'm not a mad fan of the word human resources. I would like to see if they were to change the name of human resources, what would they change it to that's more reflective of the industry? I like it. You can't read it, but it's now in the book. So it will be asked very, very soon. Fantastic. Scott, this has been just an uh, amazing conversation. Wow. So, so much to digest from this conversation. I know many of our listeners are probably connected with you now, but for those that are not, best way to reach you, to get a copy of the game, anything and everything they need to know to get in touch. Sure. Um, well, fortunate, I'm one of the few Scott Leapers in the world. So my my name is Double T, Scott O. S-C-O-T-T-L-E-I-P-E-R. So if you go onto Twitter or you go onto LinkedIn or any social media platforms, there are only two Scott Leapers that I know of. So the other one, when John and Wendy put my picture on, doesn't look like me. So that's the easiest way to find me on that approach. If you're interested in the cards, um, our website is city. There you go. That's how you spell imaginacity. IMAGINOCity.co.uk. Uh, the Learning Lab is again .co.uk, but is the Learning Lab .co.uk. So you can find us on any of those platforms at all. Feeling that, just get in touch with me via Twitter, and I'm happy to direct you in whatever direction you wish to travel. We will have all that in the show notes. And then, Wendy, how about you? Best way for listeners to reach you out there? Best way, as always, is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. And of course, the second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter, 7 p.m. Eastern time as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Once again, thanks to our friends over at the Bowling Green State University Graduate Programs and Organization Development and Change for sponsoring this episode this entire month of January. Always appreciate them being part. bgsu.edu slash MOD to learn more there. As for me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman. And for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Listen share, follow, whatever the button, check mark, whatever your platform that you're listening to this, hit that button. You're going to get a new episode every week, sometimes special episodes too. International listeners, these international guests will tell you it's pretty easy once we figure out the time issues. We would love to have you take part as well. Let's talk learning. Let's talk HR. Let's talk Yogi Bear or whatever cartoon that you that may be your favorite. Or boo-boo. Whatever, or boo-boo, whatever it may be. We would love to have you take part. So please reach out and, and let's start those conversations. Scott, again, thank you so much you. For, for being part of the community and for taking part in the show. So for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. 